Welcome to this week's The Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week, we're going to be talking All-Star Weekend. And for this week's 4 on 4, we'll be joined by Jose Batista. Yahoo Sports presents The Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, JJ Reddick. Wow. What a weekend. What a week. What a 10 days for myself. I'm back in California. I walked in my house probably 20 minutes ago. So I'm coming to you from Los Angeles on Sunday afternoon. I got back from Toronto just here a little bit ago and had a fantastic weekend, which was directly after a four-game road trip with the Clippers. So I've been on the road for about 10 days. It's good to be home. My son Knox is napping right now, um, so he may run in here uh, while I'm recording this. I think anytime you get to certain points of the season, it's always good to maybe do a little reflection and a little self-assessment. So I just want to talk briefly and start with the state of the Clippers. If you had told me at the beginning of the year that we would be missing Blake for 23 games in the first half of the year and we'd still be 35 and 18 on pace to win 55 or so games, I would have taken that. I think we've had a great stretch here going 18 and 5 without Blake. Obviously, we need to get healthy. We need Austin Rivers back. He's been great for us off the bench this year. We need 32 back really bad. And I'll tell you why. We can win games because we have great players like DeAndre and and Chris. But for us to be a championship-level team, we need Blake in the lineup. This season, our team has been fairly inconsistent, at least through the first eight weeks or so of the season. I think a lot of that was defensively. And to me, the turnaround we've made over the last two months has been on that side of the basketball. I believe we're right there, right around top 10 in defense, whereas beginning of the year, we were somewhere between 15 and 20. You know, we're a jump shooting team. We shoot a lot of mid-range shots. We shoot a lot of threes, and we rely on that for points. Those shots sometimes don't go in. Sometimes you have bad shooting nights. So recently, I think some of the wins I'm most proud of were at Indiana, at Atlanta, and really the Philly game we just played this past week. We shot horrible the whole night. Couldn't buy a bucket. Our defense failed us in the first half. We gave up 59 points. I think in the third and fourth quarter, we gave up 29 total points to them. I hit a three that tied the game with about 10 seconds to go. We go into overtime, and we hold them to four points. For us to be an elite team, we have to rely on our defense, and that's something that I think we haven't done, at least in my time here, in the past. So we're getting there. Big day coming up on Thursday. It's the NBA trade deadline. Hopefully, I'm not going to get traded. Not a great experience as a player, but you know, with social media now, the, the NBA trade deadline is a big event, and I'm sure there will be and there has been speculation on us making a deal. Um, I don't expect us to make a trade that involves Blake. That's just not something that I expect to happen. That's not any inside information either. That's just my gut feeling. Um, I don't know what exactly we're going to do. You know, I think our core pieces are great. I think our bench has been great lately. I don't know that we're at the level of San Antonio or 
uh, Golden State or OKC. But, you know, we have a chance. As currently constructed, we have a chance if we're healthy. And that's really all you can ask for. So I'm not the GM. I won't be making any decisions this week, but uh, we'll leave it up to the people that do make those decisions. Well, as I said earlier, I just got back from Toronto. It was a whirlwind of a weekend. I want to back up a little bit, though. Originally, the NBA had asked me in early January to participate in the three-point contest. And I kind of gave them a no. It wasn't a definitive no, but it was a no. And the reason was my wife and I had planned on going to uh, Cabo for All-Star break. We were going to meet another couple there that we're friends with uh, from Austin. And uh, we were going to have a nice little Valentine's Day weekend, get to relax, take a little break from the season. And then, you know, life happened, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. Because a few weeks ago, you know, we started seeing all this stuff on the news about the Zika virus. For those not familiar, the Zika virus is a is a virus that's spread by mosquitoes, and they've kind of made their way up from the warmer climates in South America to Central America now. So there is a travel advisory for people going to Mexico, and it's specifically for women that are pregnant. Uh, so cat's out of the bag. My wife is pregnant. We're expecting our second child. Couldn't be more excited, but our doctor explicitly told us no Mexico. So that was the reason that I decided to go to the three-point contest was because of the Zika virus and the mosquitoes. So once I committed to it, to doing it again, and and with the disappointment of last year, I definitely felt like I wanted to win. and, And that was the goal. We left Boston after the game on Wednesday night uh, with Chris and his wife and and some of our uh, media people, um, some support staff. We left from Boston. Steve Ballmer was nice enough, again, same as last year, to lend us his private plane. For those that have not flown on a private plane, there's private planes, and then there's planes like Steve Ballmer's plane. It's top-notch. It's very nice. Uh, it It was very, very... Uh, generous of him to do that. Uh, as soon as we landed in Toronto, we went to the hotel, went to sleep. I got up the next day, and uh, you know, the first thing on my mind was practicing for the three-point contest. So I went over to the gym. We had racks set up, money balls set up. Um, I felt really good about getting at least three sessions in prior to Saturday night. Uh, I had some media availability on Thursday, and then again Friday morning, I had media availability. One of the interesting things that happened during that media availability is is someone had asked me, what are you planning to do this weekend? Like, what are you going to do in Toronto? And first of all, it was negative nine degrees. So probably nothing outside. Let's just be clear on that. But the comment I made was I wanted to Netflix and chill. Now, I'm not the hippest guy in the world, but I do know I'm very familiar with what Netflix and chill means in our culture. Okay. I'm not going to go into details about what it means, but for those that don't know, just Google it. In my case, being in Toronto and saying I wanted to Netflix and chill was very, very literal. I have a pregnant wife. It was a hotel room in sub-zero degree weather. So I really just wanted to sleep while my son was back in California, watch Netflix and chill. Specifically, Making a Murderer. I'm hooked. We're like seven or eight episodes in. It's a great show. Really enjoying it. 
Friday afternoon, went and got some shots up. Friday night, we went to a GQ party that was hosted by Future and uh, saw some interesting people there. And then we stopped by a party that was hosted by Jose Batista, and that party was being DJed by Snoop Dogg. So there was a lot of celebrities there. We really ran into some interesting people there. Jose and I met that night. We have a mutual acquaintance that had kind of scheduled some stuff. So given the theme of the weekend being in Toronto and Jose and his uh, his career with the Blue Jays being pretty amazing, I thought it would be great to have him on the show. So he'll be joining us later for this week's 4 on 4. We're going to be talking about our four favorite Canadian things. It's going to be amazing. Uh, so Saturday morning, I got up again very early. I went and got some more shots up. I recorded a little bit with Jose and then treated the rest of the day like a normal game day. I went back to the hotel, had lunch, took a great nap, got up, had my cup of coffee, and, and then headed over uh, to the arena. You know, going into this year and Saturday night's event, I felt much more relaxed. I had way more fun this year than I did the year before. However, I just... I can't say this enough. It is so freaking hard to shoot off a rack. I don't know how many people out there have tried to shoot off a rack, especially when you have a minute to do it and shoot 25 shots, but it's really hard to get into a rhythm. It's just very unnatural. You know, if you think about your entire life and how you shoot the basketball, whether it's in a game or whether it's in practice or whether it's, you know, alone in a gym. It's always off the catch or off the dribble. And to be reaching behind you to grab balls, you know, I would say 90% of the shots that I shot, I didn't really even have time to look to see whether or not the ball went in. So you're not really making adjustments because you don't know if you're missing short or long because you're not necessarily seeing the result. So it's really hard. It's really hard, you know, and it was hard for me. I was happier (laughs) with my performance this year. I felt good. Uh, about my first round and you know I think I rushed it a little bit during the tiebreaker I got off to a great start I wanted to be able to shoot all my money balls so I kind of went in the reverse order of how I shot in the first round I started in the right corner with my money balls and that kind of caused me to run the wrong way around the racks and I felt like a I just wanted to get up as many shots as possible so it was, it was tough for me to get into a rhythm and then you have guys like Clay Thompson and Steph Curry who do make it look easy to shoot off a rack. I mean, those guys are fantastic shooters as it is. Both of them seem unflappable shooting the ball. And uh, I don't know if I haven't seen the feed from TNT, but at Clay's last spot in the left corner, he went five for five shooting money balls. And I don't know if they talked about it on the television. But all five of the shots he took, he was behind the backboard. I mean, those were incredible shots. And he went five for five. And they were with the money ball. I don't think people realize how difficult and ridiculous that was. Three-point contest was great. Probably overshadowed this year by Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon, who absolutely put on a show. And all over Twitter, everyone's saying it's one of the best dunk contests ever I would have to agree with that. It seemed like they were bringing out the best in each other. You know, can you top this? It was it was one of those moments, you know, I, if I had to say 
one guy should have won or shouldn't have won. Aaron Gordon, the things he did, you know, I've never seen before. Zach Levine's athleticism is incredible, but Aaron Gordon's dunk where, you know, he kind of jumped and, and cleared stuff sideways and took the ball under his legs and dunked it left-handed. That was amazing. Never seen that before. The other one I really liked was when stuff was on the hoverboard and, you know, was kind of doing a 360 around the hoverboard and, and Aaron timed it and grabbed it and wind built it. I mean, those are incredible dunks. All in all, a great weekend. We'll be topped off tonight with the NBA All-Star Game. In the NBA weekend, NBA All-Star Weekend is a, is a huge event for our league. Uh, it helps to popularize the game globally. Uh, it's, a, it's a showcase for, you know, our elite talent. And uh, every year I say this, but, you know, I'm, I'm proud of our league. I'm proud of our players. Um, you know, one of the things that every player did that participated was we all get to do an NBA Cares event. NBA Cares was an initiative started about 10 years ago by the NBA for community service. And every All-Star Weekend, they do dozens of events of events all over the host city. Um, so myself and CJ McCollum and Aaron Gordon were part of a, a line of people that was, was bagging produce. And uh, those bags of food were eventually distributed yesterday and fed 30,000 people in the greater Toronto area. General Dempsey was there as well. He actually happened to be in my line. He's a big Coach K guy. He's a, he's a great friend of Coach K, so we got to catch up a little bit and talk Duke basketball, but just an honor to be part of that and to help in the community wherever you know we're kind of playing or wherever we're involved with events. Uh, it's a great thing, so um, just had a great time and in Toronto. And, and again, I've said this a number of times, but, you know, it's an honor to be asked to participate in All-Star Weekend in any form or fashion. And uh, very proud to, to have participated for the second time in the three-point contest. But as an aside, during All-Star Weekend, I was in an elevator with a woman at the Four Seasons Hotel in Toronto. And she asked me what I was doing in town. I explained to her I was here for All-Star Weekend she was really excited to hear that. She said, I want to go to some of the events. Do you know how I get tickets? I said, ma'am, pretty sure everything's sold out. And what popped into my head? Well, of course, SeatGeek popped into my head. So I told her all about SeatGeek. She was so excited to hear this. She actually used the app, downloaded it, and bought tickets that way. True story. Whether you're looking to buy tickets to an event or sell tickets you can't use, you need to check out SeatGeek. It's the smartest way to buy and sell tickets for concerts and your favorite teams. SeatGeek pulls all the ticket buying and selling options from other ticket sites into one place to save you time. SeatGeek knows the fair market value of every ticket, and they use that information to show you the best deals and help you find underpriced seats. If you have tickets you can't use, SeatGeek will help you price your tickets on their site so that you can quickly sell them to another fan. SeatGeek has the lowest fees of any ticket site out there and always shows you the full price up front. And here's an amazing deal. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. Now, here's how you get your $20 rebate on tickets. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will send you $20 once you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. All right, jumping into something non-All-Star related. One of the purposes and goals of, of having this podcast is 
to talk about non-basketball specific issues. You know, obviously the core of this podcast will be discussing the NBA, what it's like to be a player, what it's like to be a coach, GM, et cetera, et cetera. Very specific things such as shooting or team management, X's and O's. We'll be talking about that stuff a lot. But this also gives me an opportunity to talk about other issues, whether it's in sports or in culture. You know, hopefully one of these days I would like to do a whole podcast on the financial pitfalls of being an athlete and kind of why uh, so many athletes end up in financial distress. That would be, I think, a really interesting topic to talk about. You guys have already heard me talk a little bit about pop culture in assessing Breaking Bad and the Beatles. I'll be touching on pop culture a lot, even later in this episode with Jose. I may even talk finance. You know, I might pick stocks on here. I don't know. Last night after the three-point contest, the highlight of my night was my two buddies that I was with. After dinner, we, we sat down and we spent an hour discussing our long-term views of Apple, Amazon, and Google stock. And each of us had to pick one to hold long-term in a hypothetical scenario. So we're going to be talking about a lot of different stuff. And, and one of the issues over the past week was post-Super Bowl, Cam Newton. And so much was made about the way he handled that press conference. And I want to talk about it. I want to address it. And first of all, I didn't think it was fair with some of the labels that he was given by people on social media and people in the media. Some of the words I heard were coward, uh, front runner. I just hate that word. Well, first of all, I would hate to be called a front runner. <laughs> I, I don't consider myself one, but when I really think about it, I think most people are front runners. I think by definition, you're going to be happier when you win and you're going to be sadder when you lose. Now, we can all handle losing a certain way. We can all handle winning a certain way. I do believe in sportsmanship, but to call him a front runner because he was upset and he wasn't you know, smiling at his press conference after he lost the Super Bowl is, is ludicrous. And it seems like the guy the whole season, you know, partly because of their success and partly because of his own success and his own dominance on the field, he was under constant scrutiny and under the microscope so much. Frankly, I love when athletes show emotion. I feel like when I was a Duke, I enjoyed playing basketball more because I showed emotion. And everybody thought I was a jerk because of it. I probably was. But, I mean, if you watch me play now, even if something good is happening, man, I've toned it down. I've toned it down. I mean, that's who I am now, I guess. But part of me, you know, wishes that, you know, I could go out there and dab. That's not who I am, but I get it. I get why guys want to do that. This is a game that we are fortunate enough and blessed enough to play. Why should we not enjoy playing I just don't understand it. If Cam wants to dab and smile, he should be able to do it. And if he doesn't want to act that way after he loses a game, like the Super Bowl, that's his prerogative. The other thing that has been brought up a bunch and needs to be talked about again, I don't get why the NFL was doing simultaneous interviews. They didn't think to themselves like that may be a problem. I mean, if I'm in an interview room and I just shot two for 10 from the field and one for five from the three-point line. 
and two for four from the free throw line and had four turnovers. And the guy that was guarding me is across the room giving a simultaneous interview talking about me and my poor performance. I would get upset. I would be very upset. So for Cam to get up and walk away, it's probably better than the alternative, to be honest with you. You know, as an athlete, it's always, it's always hard. You know, part of our job, and I recognize that, and Cam recognizes that, and every athlete recognizes that part of our job is to deal with the media. Part of our job is to be accessible to the media, whether we win or whether we lose. But the reality is, if I have a terrible game and we lose, I don't want to answer questions. I mean, it's 15, 20 minutes after I lost, and there's a microphone in your face, and I mean, the media knows you're upset, so the questions, you know, they kind of tiptoe around it. It's tough. It's tough to ask the questions, and it's tough to answer the questions. I get it. I get the frustration. It was interesting. One of the guys I was with this weekend, he's actually the gentleman that I was supposed to go to Cabo with. He played in the NFL for nine years for the Buffalo Bills and the Carolina Panthers. He was an offensive lineman. He was Cam's teammate for a number of years. In in asking him and, and talking to him, he definitely had Cam's back. And he kind of, you know, echoed what I'm saying in that Cam enjoys the game. Cam recognizes that, you know, he's a face of the NFL. He's an MVP. And he's probably going to handle it differently in the future. But give the guy a break. You know, give the guy a break. I also ran into Thomas Davis, linebacker for the Panthers, and, and he said the same thing. It's funny to me because, I mean, there's there's certain NFL coaches that are like that in every press conference. I'm not going to name names, but we know who they are. They're like that in every press conference. You know, it happens. It happens. We don't, we don't lambast these guys because they do that. So, Cam, you have my support. You know, I, I think it's always a, a, a touchy subject uh, when dealing with the media after tough losses because you don't, you don't want to say something you regret. Um, so sometimes saying nothing is better at all. I'm going to answer some questions that were sent to me on Twitter. Uh, I'll be doing this periodically on the podcast. Um, if you want to ask me a specific question, I'll tweet something out when I'm recording, when I'm getting ready to record. And uh, please send any questions along. I'm happy to answer questions on this podcast. I got a great question here. How is life as an NBA player and a dad? I think balancing the two is probably the toughest thing I've ever had to do. You know, I I always used to joke before I had kids that I really liked my wife and I like spending time with her and it was tough for me to be on the road. And now, uh, not only do I like my wife, I really like my son. I like being with him. So being on the road uh, on average, probably three or four days a week is very tough. You miss key moments. I miss when he started to crawl. Uh, Just this past weekend, he learned how to say the number two, and he learned how to say the color gold. And he also figured out what a hexagon is. I swear to God, true story. So you miss those moments. It makes the off-season better, though, because I'd spend as much time as possible with my son, you know, last summer, and and we'll look forward to doing that again this off-season. And as I mentioned before, uh, my wife is pregnant with our second child, uh, so I'm going to be a dad of, of two kids pretty soon here. So very excited about that. You know, the other thing with that is being an NBA player, 
is how I provide for my family. So I don't think it's any coincidence that, you know, I've had two of my best years in the league when I've been a father uh, because I'm even more motivated to make my family proud. The other thing with that is it's really hard to get upset for too long after a bad game or after you lose the three-point contest because you come home and your son doesn't care. He doesn't care if you went two for ten. You know, he just he's happy dad-ass home and he wants to go play ball. So having a kid, and any parent will tell you this, it's the greatest thing you could ever do. So very, very proud to be a dad to Knox and another one coming up here soon. All right, second question. Another great question. How much do you miss Bojangles? For those that don't know what Bojangles is, it's the greatest biscuits in the world. I practically survived on Bojangles my first two years at Duke. It's one of the reasons that I was 225 pounds at the end of my sophomore year. I weigh about 195 now, so do the math, but I ate way, way too much Bojangles. And I believe they're expanding to new states. My friend and I were discussing over the weekend trying to get a franchise in Texas because they're expanding to, to Austin, Texas. So I love Bojangles. When I do go back to North Carolina, if I'm there for an extended period of time, I usually always sneak in there one Saturday morning. It's a great spot. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Make sure to check out new and archived episodes of the Vertical Podcast with Woj and the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix on Yahoo Sports, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. For in-depth conversations around the NBA, the Vertical Podcast Network is your destination for on-demand audio. All right, we are joined by a very special guest for this week's Four on Four. Our guest is Jose Batista, a six-time All-Star and Toronto Blue Jays slugger. Jose, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you've been involved this weekend uh, with the NBA. You, I believe, were the assistant coach for the Canada celebrity team last night. Congrats on the win. How was that experience? Well, thank you. Um, Everybody did a great job. I was just trying to sit there and... uh not look stupid uh, and I think I did an okay job uh, try to pay attention and see uh, if I could give anybody any pointers and I didn't have to you know right. like you said we won and the guys played great uh, it was a great experience it's the first time I've ever taken part of, in the NBA all-star uh, festivities and it was great I had a lot of fun uh, and I encourage everybody to you know to pay a little more attention NBA goes all out and does a lot of things yeah. uh, to draw the fans attention and make sure that they're having fun and share that you know with with everybody so Kevin Hart was unbelievable Drake was great uh, they had a little rift and a back and forth coach right. to coach kind of thing right yelling at each other and Kevin Hart made a special player appearance and then there was a little bit of controversy at the end of the game which I don't really want to get into but uh, I believe the arcade fire frontman made a comment about universal health care, but you know we'll talk politics later at some other time. One of the great things about All Star Weekend for a lot of people is the parties, and you hosted a party last night that was DJed by Snoop Dogg. That's actually where I met you. I met you last night. <laughs> uh, so you just—it's—it's it's funny how this works at All Star Weekend. You never know kind of who you're going to run into. There was a a number of celebrities and sports personalities at this party last night, uh, but a great time. How was that for you? Did you have fun? It was great. I had a lot of fun. You know, I was 
my head was on a swivel. Uh, yeah. There was a lot of people that I knew there and yeah. others that I didn't that wanted to get to know me. So I was definitely busy. But um, knowing that I was going to be in town and, you know, I consider Toronto my city. I wanted yeah. to have a venue where I could host people and make sure that I was taking care of them and they can enjoy themselves. And through a friend of a friend, Snoop, we did a little bit of an exchange. He wanted me to participate in his uh, celebrity basketball game today. Cool. And I needed a cool DJ from a party and he was in for it which I was surprised yeah. and uh, he's a really humble guy down to earth and it was great and he was he did a great job last night and everybody enjoyed themselves it was a blast that seems like a pretty good exchange just playing a little hoops to get Snoop to DJ your party yeah well and he does it for charity <laughs> yeah and, um, you know that's great and kind of to help him out also we made a donation to his charity and it was great uh, he, he helps cool. a lot of kids with different things that he does including his football league out in, out in California and um a lot of events that he does for fundraiser for different charities all over the world. All right. Before we, we talk uh, about something else, I want to ask you, who is the NBA player that is most like you? Who would you compare your basketball game to? Well, I'm not really good at basketball. So hopefully <laughs> for the NBA's sake, nobody plays like me. But um, looking from the distance, you know, at least the way he carries himself as a professional, uh, I'd like to, to think that uh, I'm... Not model myself against, but I look up to Dwayne Wade a little bit. You know, okay. you know he's had his hiccups here and there, and, and everybody does. Right. Uh, but uh, I really like the way he goes about his business uh, on and off the court. That's great. Uh, speaking of hiccups, a lot of controversy has been going on over the past week or so uh, with the post-game press conference of Cam Newton. And you're someone that had a little bit of controversy this past fall with your infamous bat flip in Game 5 against the Rangers. For anyone that hasn't read Jose's take on it, go to the Players' Tribune, check out his article, Are You Flipping Kidding Me? It's really interesting, and I think one of the things that I found most interesting about the article was you talked at length about the culture uh, in the Dominican Republic of baseball players and how you guys all grow up and you dream of playing in the big leagues. It's a a one-in-a-million shot. The joy of the game is such an integral part of, of baseball growing up in the Dominican Republic. And then you get to the big leagues and you've achieved this dream and, and people are offended that you play with emotion. Like that, that doesn't make sense, I think, to another athlete. It doesn't make sense to a lot of people. How is that? Do you struggle balancing that or are you just going to be yourself? Well, it's a little difficult for a number of reasons, you know, for a kid coming from the Dominican or any Caribbean country where baseball is played totally different. Yeah. Um, and the way that I would compare it, uh, and I'll go back to all those reasons here in a second, is let's say you grew up playing golf right. in the Dominican Republic. Yeah. Um, and the style is different and you celebrate after, you know, a good shot or <laughs> you, you hoot and holler and whatever, you jump up and down and then you get to be so good that you want to play in the PGA Tour. And then you have to follow that etiquette. Right. And that's going to be a huge adjustment. Right. Um, who knows if you're going to be able to be the same golfer. It's, <laughs> it's impossible to determine that. But that's just one of the hurdles that kids uh, like myself, when we come over here to right. play baseball, have to deal with. The other ones, you know, culturally, the uh, changing the language, receiving a different set of instruction from a totally different system that we grew up in, you know, the food, mm-hmm. not being with your family. Right. It's, it's a right. lot to throw on the plate. and. Is it demanding? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, is the best the, is the player's development and best interest uh, considered at all times? Not necessarily. Uh, but that's I, I expect that to change. I think it's part of the the evolution of, mm. of the sport and and the growth internationally. So yeah. I think uh, I think it's I think it's, it's changing, what you're saying too is like it's changing. hard 
sometimes to balance, you know, conforming to maybe fans or media expectations of how we're supposed to act as athletes while also maintaining our edge. And for every athlete, your edge is different. It may be, it may be swagger. It may be cockiness. It may be smiling. It may be dabbing like Cam. Uh, it may be flipping your bat in the heat of the moment. All those things are what give us our edge. And, and, and ath- you know, a great athlete, you know, it's not just skill. It's not just the mental approach. It is that edge. It is that swagger. Yeah. And it affects, it depends on how you come hardwired. You know, yeah, yeah. When, when you come out of your mom, um, yeah. some people use that to their advantage. Yeah. Um, being in tune with what they're feeling and their emotions. And mm-hmm. some people have to tune it out in order sure. to keep focused. Sure. And there's, there's some the, athletes that are very stoic. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, the guy that I need to be in tune with what I'm feeling or, <laughs> yeah. or I'm just not, you know, yeah. my senses just don't work the same and I I'm just it. not the same athlete. So I, I okay. have to be in tune with that. And that's what I grew up in. And that's where my circumstances growing up. So uh, I've tried to adjust as well as I can because I do understand, you know, it would be impossible for me to expect that everybody understands me here either because it right. is a different environment. So yeah. I try to you know understand how it works here and adjust as much as I can without sacrificing being myself. Perfect. Well put, well put. All right, well, now it's time for this week's four on four. Jose, we do this at the end of every show. It's four things about anything. And this week, we're sticking with the Toronto All-Star Canadian theme. And you and I, neither of us are Canadian, but we're going to talk about our four favorite Canadian things. This can be anything. In doing some research for this week's four on four, I found out that garbage bags were patented in Canada. That's a pretty big deal. That's not one of my four. I'm going to go in order. My four favorite Canadian things. Number one, the Canadian national anthem. I'm not knocking the American national anthem. I love the Star Spangled Banner, but every time I play in Canada and every time we get out there for warm-ups in Toronto, I look forward to hearing the Canadian national anthem. Um, you probably hear it for every home game, correct? Every game, even on the road, uh, I think they have to play it. Yeah, yeah. They have. We always have the two anthems. Oh, Canada, our home and native land. You guys get the point. Anyways, it is a great anthem. It is a great I agree anthem. With you. It's in the top. In my, it's eyes, inspiring the, the way it the ends. Top three in the world. I, I would say for all the anthems that I've heard, obviously. I haven't played in many foreign countries, but watching the Olympics, playing overseas a little bit with NBA uh, Basketball Without Borders and NBA Cares and all that stuff, Canada is definitely my favorite non-American national anthem. All right, number two in my favorite Canadian things, little interesting tidbit I found out is that peanut butter was actually patented by a gentleman from Quebec. Now, peanut butter, I think, goes back all the way to the Aztecs and, and the Incans. I, I believe they figured out a way to turn peanuts into paste. Uh, but in 1884, uh, a gentleman from Quebec patented peanut butter. Is, is a PBJ your favorite sandwich? It's not my favorite sandwich, but it's one that I enjoy. It's hard not to enjoy. Yeah. It brings you back to your childhood. It's it, arguably one of the most iconic sandwiches ever. It brings me back to minor league days. <laughs> that's all you eat in the minor yeah, league days. And I, back I did that for three and a half years. College days. I think I ate like two peanut butter jelly sandwiches a day. Not a big fan of almond butter either, so I'm, I'm a hardcore peanut butter junkie. All right, number three uh, for me is Ryan Gosling. Great actor. I think there's no one that has epitomized kind of the Hollywood hipster more than Ryan Gosling. Do you have a favorite Ryan Gosling movie? 
I don't. I mean, he's he's done a, a bunch. I really enjoyed his uh, Saturday Night Live. Oh yeah, yeah. Appearance. Okay. He hosted yeah. it uh, once, and I I was watching it. He's a pretty funny guy. Yeah. And I know and he can kind of play any role. He he plays the he funny does. man he's sometime. I just saw the Big Short, yeah. and he was very funny in that. He's um, very versatile. Yeah. Uh, I, and I do appreciate that because it's not easy to do. Yeah. There's a lot of people that get in case in just one um, style. But he's, he's a really, great actor, yeah, no he's, question. He's great. All right, fourth for me, maybe catch some flack for this one, but the Biebs, Justin Bieber, you can knock his personal life and his kind of uh, decision making all you want, but hey, we've all made bad decisions, especially in our teens and our early 20s. He is one of the most talented musicians in the world today, and there's an outside chance, especially if you ask my friend Scooter Braun, that he ultimately becomes as iconic as a Michael Jackson. That may be blasphemy for some people, but the Beebs is that talented. Do you listen to the Beebs? Everybody does. Everybody I mean, does. Even see, like even Jose Batista, I love if it. You like, him or, like him or don't, you can't avoid him. Okay, he's basically everywhere. But the, I do appreciate some of his music. I think yeah. he's really talented, like you said, and he showed talent at a very early age. Yeah. I like those type of success stories. Um, you know, going on YouTube when you're yeah. what 13, 14 mm-hmm. years old, or whatever, and, and becoming one of the uh, biggest uh, pop stars in the world is yeah. unbelievable. He, he's he's fantastic. A couple uh, honorable mentions real quick. Ryan Reynolds for me, the actor. Love him. And also uh, Celine Dion. All right. I just got word. You got two minutes. So let's get your four favorite Canadian things. All right. I'll get right down to it. And uh, the first two come from, you know, a tree that's native, mm-hmm. I think. It has to be. Canada. <laughs> so maple syrup and maple wood bats. Love it. Uh, the baseball world was pretty stuck on, on ash, baseball bats. And in the late 90s, you know, a gentleman in Canada created, uh, started making bats for the major leaguers out of Canadian maple wood. Uh, and he changed the game. He definitely uh, gave us another weapon to use. And, and, the, and the bat that you flipped was a maple bat. Yes. And that's, I stick with that. Um, All right. I'm partial to Vermont maple syrup, but I do enjoy Canadian maple syrup. Well, my second one, you know, <laughs> it's Canadian uh, maple syrup. Yeah. Uh, so they both come from the same, you know, line of trees. And mm-hmm. uh, I get to enjoy, uh, especially with my oatmeal, which is a thing that I didn't know that you could put on your oatmeal <laughs> until I came to Canada. Love so it. Oatmeal with maple syrup I is love it. one of my favorite uh, breakfast items. Moving on, I have to go with an artist. You picked uh, two, and I have to go with Drake. Drake. You know, Drake. Oh, yeah. He was hard to leave off my list. He's another success story. You know, uh-huh. uh, From right here in Toronto. Yeah. From right here in Toronto, and he's uh, the local boy. Everybody calls him the sixth god now. Yeah. Um, and he's come a long way from a borderline soap opera for teens to yeah. you know being in one of the biggest rappers in the world. Love it. Or the biggest one. In, oh, yeah, no question. Now. Yeah, um, no question. So it's been great seeing his success and, and how he's impacted a bunch of lives here in Canada. And then last but not least, you know, my beloved Toronto Blue Jays. Of course. Uh, <laughs> right now, the only uh, baseball franchise in MLB, you know, the Expos don't exist anymore. Uh, and they weren't the first, but nonetheless, they're the only ones standing right now. And they're Canada's pride. And they're um, definitely my pride and joy because I get to play for them every single day and put that jersey on. So... I know how much love the fans have for our team, and, and it's, it's great. It's great to see how, how people take that as part of their own life. They make it you know, part of their culture, part of their family, and I see it every day at the stadium. So I really That's appreciate great. all the support. It's, it's unbelievable. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's 4 on 4. 
uh, I'm hoping you can bring a, a World Series championship to your Toronto Blue Jays. Thanks a lot, Jose. All right. Thank you. I want to thank everybody again for listening. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen on iTunes, Stitcher, and tune in. You can tweet me at JJ Reddick for questions that I will answer on the podcast. And you can also leave questions and reviews on the iTunes podcast review page. We'd also like to take a second to thank our sponsor, SeatGeek. We'll talk to you next week. We'll be joined by Toronto Raptors guard Kyle Lowry. I'm sure there'll be plenty of discussion about skinny Kyle Lowry. Later. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice 